Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you today. Uh, my name's Willie Harrison, and I'm joining you today from Hebron Evangelical Church in Aberdeen, Scotland, which is where Derek and uh, Julie Leith and their family worship, and where I am one of the elders. And Derek had asked if I would uh, be willing to help out in your, uh, in your studies, and I'm delighted to do that. Uh, we send our greetings to you in Christ's name. Uh, we, of course, know a little bit about you through Derek and Julie, and pray that the Lord will uh, strengthen you in your work and your witness uh, for Him. So I believe um, the passage today is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to the end of the passage, uh, and I'd like to read that with you uh, just now. And I think it would be very useful if after the reading you keep your Bible open so that we can uh, go down the passage together. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance." so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. May God's uh, word touch our hearts as we think about it today. I once knew a man uh, who was fond of saying at the end of a church service, uh, 
that uh, the message starts now. Uh, what he meant by that, of course, was that it was now time to, to apply what had just been learned. And that's really what this section here uh, is all about. Um, previous to this, he's developed an awful lot of rich, tremendous doctrinal teaching for their benefit about the superiority of Christ. But now he's making it personal, and he's bringing it home, and he's applying it. And that's why it says, therefore, on the basis of all of this, because everything else uh, has happened, and this is the reality now, therefore, there are cer certain implications, uh, and he wants them to apply those to, his, um, to their own hearts. He's not leaving things just hanging in the air. Uh, these are not just kind of general, vague points that he's making. He is specifically and deliberately wanting them to make the teaching personal. And, of course, one of the great dangers of the Christian life is that we don't do that. We, we enjoy listening to messages. Uh, we find them interesting. And uh, we accumulate a degree of knowledge and understanding, but we can just leave it there. And that is not Christian maturity. As Jesus said, if you know these things, you're, you're blessed if you do them. And, and that's what this passage is all about. It's about making it personal. It's, it's application. Now, it's a tremendous passage of Scripture. It's packed with important teaching, uh, which both encourages uh, and warns us. Now, you'll see that there are three uh, paragraphs here, and uh, I'm going to try and summarize them by just one word that comes out of, of each of the paragraphs. So, first of all, verses 19 to 25, we'll use the word encouragement. You'll see that at verse 25. Uh, second paragraph from 26 to 31, we're going to use the word judgment, and you'll, you'll see that at verse 27. And thirdly, um, the paragraph from 32 to 39, we're going to use the word endurance, and you'll see that in verse 36. So encouragement, judgment, and endurance by way of personal application. So first of all, encouragement. So what he's doing here is he's encouraging or he's exhorting them to do, to do three things. And you'll see that uh, they're introduced by him saying, let us do that. He says that uh, three times. Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider. And for each of these exhortations, uh, of course, he gives, he gives a reason. Let's do this, and there's a reason for doing it. There are tremendous reasons for us moving forward uh, with Christ. So let, let's take these one at a time. Let us draw near. Since we have confidence, let us draw near. The point he's making, of course, is this. When, when we come to God... As believers in Christ, we can do this not with a sense of anxiety, not with a sense of uncertainty or, or worry that God will not have us, that He will not accept us, like maybe the prodigal son uh, who had his little speech all worked out. Uh, I'm not worthy. 
you know, to be called your son, just make me one of your, your hired servants. He wasn't sure whether the father would welcome him back because of everything that had happened and gone on before. But no, with, with, a, with tremendous confidence, not in ourselves, we can, we can boldly approach since we have this confidence. Now, that, of course, is a tremendous theme throughout the entire book of Hebrews. Their critics, their opponents, were saying to these early Christian Jews, you have nothing. Look at all that we have. Here's our temple. Here's our priesthood. Here are our sacrifices. Show us what you have in Christ. You show us nothing. You've got nothing. But what he's at pains to develop and the point that he's made right from chapter 1 is look at all we have in Christ. Look at the superiority of what we have through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's doing here is he's going to really build up the point of, of everything that we have. And, and of course, this is a tremendously practical point. Whenever we do feel a sense of unworthiness and we worry about why God would ever want to accept us. And how could we draw near? It's, it's so helpful to point upon point in our own minds, remind ourselves about what we have in Christ that gives us confidence to draw near. So let us just uh, look at, at what he says. What do we have, verse uh, 19, that gives us confidence? Number one, the blood of Jesus. Number two, there is a new and living way that has been opened up for us through the curtain. When the Lord Jesus died, when he said it is finished, the veil in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The way into the holiest was opened up. The priests at the time uh, must have been staggered. They, you know, that was always closed off to them. But now, torn in two, and the way in, and he's pioneered that. He's opened that up through the veil, through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And number three, what he says is this, that we have a great priest over the house of God. And so with all of these things in the background, built up, giving us assurance, let us draw near with a true heart, in the full assurance of faith. And then he goes on to give some other reasons as well. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And of course, he's drawing background from what happened. You'll read about this in Leviticus 16, the great day of atonement. And part of the ceremony, the priests were washed and they had to sprinkle themselves as well as other things uh, for cleansing for ceremonial cleansing. But what he's talking about here is not just externals. He's talking about our consciences being cleansed, our hearts being cleansed from dead works to serve the living and true God. If you go back to chapter 9 and verse 9, it talks there about that was why the old system was so inadequate. You know, it never dealt with the conscience. That's why the sacrifices had to be continually repeated year after year. Because there was a continual reminder in them that it was never sufficient. But here, in what we have in Christ, is something that cleanses 
our very conscience. So despite what we've done, despite our sense of guilt and shame and unworthiness at times, here is the glory of the gospel of Christ, that because of the blood of Christ, of our great priest, of the new and living way, the fact that we are cleansed with, with a sense of confidence, we can come near to God. I mean, and this is the gospel that we preach. That is why the gospel is such a tremendous thing. It deals with the conscience, and we can offer it, as the old hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receive. So let us draw near. So the second encouragement, the second exhortation is found in verse 23 when he says, let us hold fast. So he's saying that, come on, let, let's do this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Some of them were in danger of just doing that. They, they were listening to all these voices from the community and they were tempted to waver in their confession of faith for Christ and go back to the old way. And so he's saying to them, no, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope uh, without wavering. And the reason that he says that is that he who promised is faithful. God will be faithful to his promises. He will never waver. And you can depend on what he says. And in belief of that, hold fast to your hope. Stand fast. It's based on the faithful promises of God. You can be faithful because he is faithful and in his promises. I don't know you. I don't know your background. I don't know what happens where you are just now. Uh, but there are frequently temptations for us to, to wobble to, to waver in our faith. And the exhortation that comes to us all this morning is, you know, let, let's hold fast. Uh, let's be firm. Uh, let's have confidence in the faithfulness of God to never leave us or forsake us, to give us strength and courage and help us to persevere. And then the third exhortation is uh, down there in verse number 24, where, where he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I guess the application is this. Have, have we considered how we can better do this as far as our brothers and sisters are concerned? Uh, have we been creative in thinking out various options on how we can, we can spur one another on in our faith and help each other to be considerate of each other, to improve our spiritual lives as far as our love and our, and our good works. Maybe that's something that you can think about even for this coming week that I can think about. How can I better spur somebody on to these things? Let's, let's do that. I mean, you get an example of that in chapter 12, actually, when he talks about the, the great cloud of witnesses um, that testify to the validity of the, of the life of faith. And it's almost as if they're lining the streets as, as we walk along, uh, as we run on the race of faith. And, they, and they're encouraging us, keep going, you know, press on. This is worth it. It worked for us. 
You know, you, you know you've got everything behind you. Uh, persevere in it. And, and, and that's what we're to do for our fellow brothers and sisters. Not, not to be isolated, not just to be inward looking, but let, let's do this. Let us consider one another. And of course, one of the big ways of doing that in verse 25 is by meeting together, not neglecting to meet together. It's obvious that you meet together so that you can encourage one another. Now, I know that at this particular time, it's very difficult to do anything like that. We're all meeting by Zoom and everything else. Uh, but perhaps that means this message is even more important uh, at this time um, uh, in our lives to consider the importance of encouraging one another and to do that all the more as we see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's return. He's making the point that, you know, time is short. You know, the Lord is coming. Uh, he'll bring his rewards with him. You know, and he will reward those who are encouragers. And uh, one of the great neglected gifts in the church is to be an encourager. You never go wrong if you seek to encourage. So, you know, let, let, let us consider this. Let's try and think how we can be creative in encouraging one another. That's the first application. Second application is one that um, is a warning. Uh, it's a somber note that is struck here uh, because it has to do uh, with, with judgment. And, and there are several of these passages, um, these, these dark passages in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, of course, uh, being one of them as well. Now, the connection between the two paragraphs here is, um, first of all, he said, keep on encouraging one another more and more in contrast to not going on sinning deliberately. And so, of course, the big debate has always been, who is he talking about uh, when, he, when he, he speaks in this, in this, in this way, with these, uh, in this language here? Are these Christians? Um, and, and basically, you know, they forfeited their salvation in Christ. Um, I'm quite clear in my mind that that is not the case at all. Now, the people who he is talking about here are people who had the appearance of being believers, but never the reality. You know, in the words of verse 22 talks about drawing near with a true heart, with a, a genuine heart, a, a, a real heart. And, and these people did not have what was, what was genuine. And that's why they need to be warned here. I guess the key example in, in, the, in the Bible is, is, is of Judas Iscariot. I mean, no, nobody among the rest of the disciples, um, none of them suspected that Judas was the one who was going to betray. Even when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, nobody had any idea. He, he seemed to be genuine. He had the form of godliness. So the people who are being talked about here are not genuine Christians at all. Um, and, and, and this is a real warning, you know, for people who know how to present themselves, talk the talk. Um, it's it's for, for, for us all to examine our hearts and the foundations that we're built on uh, to see whether we are true in the faith uh, or not. And it talks about uh, extremely serious consequences about rejecting uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's again in the context of the first century when these Jews were tempted to just kick over the traces 
of the, of the faith and, and go back to the old ways. And, and here we have a reminder of, of what they are actually deliberately choosing to do to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, look at what it says here. It says down in verse number 29 that, you know, they will have spurned the Son of God, or the NIV puts it, they will have trampled him underfoot, you know, such as their rejection of Christ. They will have uh, profaned the blood of the, co of the covenant, um, treated it as an unholy thing. Um, that word, when it says, the covenant by which he was sanctified, the word sanctification doesn't always reflect true believers. One of the big examples of that would be 1 Corinthians 7, where it particularly says about a couple who are married, the husband's not a Christian and the wife is a Christian, that the husband is sanctified or made holy by the believing wife. Now, what that really means is this. He's put in a special place of privilege. You know, he's exposed to the gospel. And in that sense, he's privileged. He's not a genuine Christian, but he is sanctified in that sense. So, again, I think that helps in our understanding of this. And the other phraseology is in verse 29. In deciding to do this, you have outraged the spirit of grace. And so you have the, the, the sober phraseology of, of punishment uh, and of judgment uh, and of vengeance and of it being a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, we don't often talk about these things, um, but to be true to Scripture, uh, warnings are necessary. And in very stark uh, terms, what we have here are the, are the serious consequences of what it actually means, the implications of choosing to go back and, and reject Christ. You trample him underfoot. And because of that, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand uh, of uh, the living uh, God. He now moves into the, the final uh, section here. Um, and he turns away from these apostates uh, to address the true believers. And we know that because if you look at the final verse, it says, you know, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve uh, their souls. So, so what, what message of application does he now have? For, for, for these people who find themselves in the middle of all this tension and, and the pressure of their circumstances at that time. He says, well, more than anything else, what you need to have is endurance. You need to persevere. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance to keep on going, to press on, to stick with it, and just to keep on living the life of faith. And this is the characteristic of the true child of God. Despite the discouragements of life, whatever trials or difficulties or persecution that, that life throws at us, it is to continue to live a life of faith in God and not to shrink away from the demands 
of following Christ. It is to endure. And, and maybe this is a particular message for all of us in these strange, difficult times uh, that we're all living in uh, just now. And the particular reason for enduring that's given here, again, is that, that Christ is coming and that He will uh, reward His people. And uh, that's picked up, of course, in other passages of Scripture as well. You know, in Second Timothy, Paul, at the end of, towards the end of his life, says, you know, I've, I've fought the fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith, and uh, henceforth there's the, the crown of righteousness that's laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. And not to me only, but to all of those who have loved his appearing. And so he says the same thing here. You have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Let's not lose our reward. Let's press on in the Christian life. Um, I have a personal, you know, experience of, of this from many years ago. We, we, we worked for several years as missionaries uh, in uh, northwest Zambia. And uh, I, I spoke at a meeting just before going out there. And at the end, shaking hands with people, there was an old evangelist. And he held on to my hand and he said, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a, a little song to sing for you. And uh, he started out uh, to the words of, uh, to the tune of Amazing Grace, uh, go on, go on, go on, go on. And I'm looking at him, and all the people, of course, are lined up and down the aisle, and he keeps holding on to my hand, go on, go on, go on. And he finished that verse, and he said, there are actually about 20 verses to this, and they're all the same. Every one of them. And I've, of course, I've never forgotten that. That's why I'm sharing it with you. The importance of, despite discouragement, of people letting you down, of disappointments, of hardship, just to keep on going on. You have need of endurance, of perseverance. So this is a, a tremendous passage of Scripture. Uh, bringing all these things together into these important uh, and personal and pointed applications. So let's not, just, let's not just learn. Let's not just enjoy Scripture. Let's, let's apply it. Let's make it personal. Let's encourage one another to draw near, to hold fast, to involve ourselves in good works. Let, let's be warned about the seriousness, about despising Christ and the judgment. And let's, let's endure. Keep going on, pressing on in the life of faith. As the old evangelist said, it's true, isn't it? We've finished the meeting, but the message starts now. May God help us to apply the messages of Scripture to our hearts this week and, and following. Now shall we pray. Lord, thank you for bringing your word to us. And we make our prayer that we might endure and press on and live the life of faith, following Christ, the greatest example of all, as well as all the great uh, heroes of the faith throughout all the generations. Help us to keep on going on. 
And so we pray for your people throughout the world. Pray for your people in Malaysia just now, Lord. Um, protect them. Give them strength and courage. Um, give them encouragement in Christ. Um, we commit them to you now in his precious name. Amen.